Chapter 25, verse 1, the title is Israel's Praise for Kingdom Blessing. O Lord, you are my God, and I will exalt you. And I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, and your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. And then in chapter 26 is literally what is titled Israel's Kingdom Song. So all of this is a song. And I want to read the first three verses. It says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Uh, God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nations which keep the truth may enter in. And you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I often say, Revelation 22, 4, it's my favorite, favorite verse, but it really goes back and forth between that one and this one. Just meditating on this one verse, if people would do that, if you keep your mind on the Lord, he promises to keep you in perfect peace, his peace, a peace that the world doesn't understand, and it's actually the Lord's peace. Well, these verses are what Israel does after she is delivered out of the great tribulation. We read in Psalm 126, after we came back from the captivity, we were glad. I mean, there was a song in our heart, and we sang it. Chapter 25, obviously, is after chapter 24. Chapter 24, we did last week, is one chapter that deals with the great tribulation period. And so after they have gone through this terrible period of time, especially Israel, where they're supernaturally protected by the Lord and they finally cry out to the Lord at the end of that seven-year period of time as God is supernaturally protecting a third of the remnant of Israel. We have verse 23 that now is different from verse 22 and that we're leaving the tribulation and we're entering into the kingdom age. And it tells us in verse 23, then the sun will be disgraced, and the sun ashamed, or the moon will be disgraced. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. And so now, the next two chapters basically is um, exhortation to sing praises to the Lord, and actually all of 26, the whole thing, is a psalm. But let me again point this out. One of the things we're learning as we're making our way through the scriptures is that in the middle of a chapter, or even in the middle of a verse, the Holy Spirit can take a section of it out and can either go into the future with it, make it uh, more added detail to an event, And uh, we're going to find that this morning in this study. Um, Yesterday at Men's Prayer, we finished the book of Ezekiel. And uh, it was dealing with the borders from 40 to 48 of Ezekiel. It's all about the millennium. And the detail, oh my goodness, it's it's off the charts with the measurements and the cubics and just um, Paul Mall who, who deals with um, um, being an assessor, has to deal with numbers like this all the time. So he was doing the math in his head and coming up with some of the, some of the numbers that were there. But the very last chapter, chapter 48, names all the 12 tribes and then is very detailed of where their land possession is going to be during the kingdom age. And it's very, very clear. It starts with Dan. And then makes its way through the 12 tribes and says exactly uh, where, where their tribes are going to be. Uh, now, during the kingdom age, obviously that's after the tribulation. And uh, that's what chapter Isaiah is talking about here in chapter 25 and 26. It says, O Lord, my God, I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Well, what is he, what's he done? He's come back and set the captives free and those that were waiting for him. And uh, now they're in Jerusalem and they're entering in. Daniel 12 says, blessed are those that 
enter into the, the millennial kingdom reign. The way I'd like to go about this this morning is um, we're doing a study on music and song, musical instruments and worship. And I can't even begin to tell you what music means to me. Um, from the time I can, I can remember my first job, my, 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 my paper out. Um, I took all of my paper out money. And uh, my dad had a barber shop in downtown Oshkosh, Main Street. Right next to it was the Caramel Crisp. Right next to that was the exclusive company. All of my paper out money, every penny of it, went to music. I was sort of in the blood. My dad was a barbershop quartet guy. I can still say S-P-E-B-S-Q-S-A. I don't know what it means, but I know it's barbershop talk. <laughs> dad was a part of a group called the Blue Notes. They competed on a national level. And I think they came in best one time was, was 10th. But music was always a part of my life. And, and um, you know... Uh, it expressed the ability to express love and appreciation. Um, you can come in from having a hard week and plop yourself down, and all of a sudden the worship team comes up here, and it's just like that. All of a sudden everything changes, and it's all because we've entered in into something that it's not out there, but it's here where two or three are gathered together. And they began to worship the Lord from the gifted, talented people that God has blessed us with here. And believe me, we are blessed. Amen? And um, the power that it has to prepare your heart for sort of like the fallow ground being broken up. And all of a sudden, we're, we're being prepared to receive the seed of the word of God. And I'd like, I'd like to go through it by looking at it from four different vantage points. Number one, I want to do a little study on the history of musical instruments. Where did it all start? And who started it? Number two, I've noticed that there's a pattern of praise after victory of the, the Lord over his enemies. Wherever the Lord is victorious over Israel's enemies is almost always preceded by them singing a song. And I thought, that's interesting. Uh, thirdly, I'd like to do an Old Testament and New Testament um, teaching about what the Bible says about singing and worship in particular and the power that it has because it is a powerful tool to get the gospel out. Uh, Paul uh, was sitting close to me in men's prayer yesterday and I put, sort of put him on the spot and I said, Paul, what's, what's the main, main, main reason that uh, you have the family, WMI? I mean, what's, what's his purpose? He says, well, the gospel. And I said, well, how do you communicate that? I was kind of setting him up because I was hoping he'd say music and teaching. You know what he said? Music and teaching. <laughs> music, the powerful tool that it is. Well, you're having a, when you're not here, you can just you know, flip on the radio and you can just get blessed by uh, people singing, and, and uh, that's how a lot of you get, get through a hard day, by just listening to music. And then fourthly, um, we're going to get do something a little bit different because the Bible teaches that there's a song that you and I don't yet know, that is yet future. And we'll close the study with that this morning. It's a new song that we're going to sing someday. But with that for an introduction, let's... Go and number one, the history of uh, the first musical instrument. We need to go back to the book of Genesis, chapter four. So let's make our way back there. Genesis four. I want to go back to oh, verse sixteen, where it's talking about Cain, and it says in uh, chapter sixteen. <clears throat> Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod uh, at the east of Eden. And verse 17 says, And Cain knew his wife. Stop, pause. People say, where in the world did she come from? 
there was Adam and Eve, and there was Cain and Abel. Where in, where in the world did this, how could he know his wife, and where did she come from? And of course, I would tell you if I was Abel, but... <laughs> Think about it, you'll get it eventually. And he built a city, and he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Enoch bore Irad, Irad begot Mahajel, Mahajel begot Methuselah, Methuselah begot Lamech, and Lamech took for himself two wives, the name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Uh, now Ada bore Jabal, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and in the livestock, and he had a brother whose name was Jabal. He was the father of those who played the harp and the flute. So here we have the first mention of a musical instrument. And um, Jabel was probably also responsible um, for musical instruments. Um, We actually get the name Jubilee from the word Jabel. But here's the first reference to it in the Bible, where we have instruments of the harp and the flute. So stringed instruments and woodwind instruments are first appear way back in, in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis uh, 44, four, chapter 4. Now, later on, after the flood, uh, we have this famous incident in Genesis 31, where Jacob is running away from home. He's running from Esau. He lives with Uncle Laban, who takes total advantage of him for 14 years. Um, And so Jacob takes off in the middle of the night while Laban is gone. Well, Laban tracks him down. And uh, this is all tongue-in-cheek as far as Laban is concerned, but when he finally catches up to Jacob, he says, why did you run off secretly? Why did you take my, my daughters? You didn't even tell me. He said, I would have sent you out with songs and a tambourine and with a harp. And what's implied here is that musical instruments were there, meaning that the instruments had to be taken on the flood. No doubt instruments of music were taken on board the ark, and Noah and his family were able to cheer themselves during their, their years and their journey. Um, on on this boat, and they existed uh, after this time. And this would have been, of course, after the flood. Let's go to number two, and that is this pattern of praise after a victory of the Lord over Israel's enemies. And for this one, we need to turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 14. So let's go to Exodus And of course, here is the famous deliverance. Children of Israel in bondage for 400 years. And um, the 10 plagues that the Lord used Moses. The last one was Passover. And uh, Israel was free. And they're cornered as as the Pharaoh has a change of heart to destroy Israel. So they have the Red Sea to their back and the Pharaoh's army in front of them, and they're trapped. Pick it up in verse 28. As the waters receded, this mighty miracle that took place, verse 28 says, then the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, and thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people of feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Then you have chapter 15. And what we call this is this song of Moses. 
Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song. Uh, The Lord has spoken, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he has thrown them into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, I will praise him. My Father God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. And we have, after this major victory, sort of this pattern now that I I see beginning to emerge that when God does a mighty work and there's a great victory, that is often followed with with, um, a praise and a song being written, actually, in this case, describing the incident, as in Isaiah chapter 24, which is about the tribulation. The song is really about how God is able to be a warrior and overthrow his enemies And thus they have, again, another song. I see the same pattern in the life of King David and Saul. I won't have you turn to this one, but in 1 Samuel 18, verse 6, it says, It came to pass, as they came, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the woman would come out of the city of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with joy, and with instruments of music. Again, there's a great victory, so we have this great celebration. What just popped into my mind was, was a ticket parade after war is over, end of war. So what happened? You have this huge um, uh, celebration in uh, New York with the the song and the dance, and of course the famous picture of the soldier sweeping this girl and giving, giving her a kiss. It's one of those things that sticks in your head. Rejoicing because of victory. And we have uh, this example from David. Okay, uh, moving right along. Number three, what does the Bible teach in the Old Testament, New Testament? How did it develop from just the instruments themselves and individual songs to developing into what we might call worship music. Where did that all start? For that one, we need to go to um, First Chronicles. I'll give you a little time to get there. First Chronicles chapter 6. And David was the one who was really responsible. Boy, talk about a guy who's gifted. Again, in men's prayer yesterday, we were talking about Many, at least four or five times, it made reference to the prince who is going to sit as a representative for the Lord himself. We know it's not the Lord himself because when it refers to the prince, it says he has sons. And he has a special portion of land that's going to be given to him. And I believe that's David. David is probably more exalted by the Lord than anybody in the scriptures. Because he was known to have, what? A heart after God, a heart. And um, he was the best musician in the land, and everybody knew it. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But in First Chronicles 6, picking it up in verse 31, we have um, the Levites, and now we have David appointing the musicians. So in verse 31, now these are the men who David appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest. Well, that's what David, you know, brought it back. What was that followed by? Music, dancing, and uh, David beyond himself, dancing uh, before the Lord. And, of course, that brings up the next question, dancing, Christians dancing. Can Christians dance? And again, the answer is, some can, some can't. (laughs) And that's just as far as that goes. I know I can, I don't know about you guys, but. And so David bringing in, it says, they were ministering with music before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of meeting until Solomon had built the house in the Lord in Jerusalem and they served in the office according to their order. But they were Levites. These are family members. And here we have, if you skip over now to chapter 23, 
you'll be amazed at the size and the number of the worship team. So First Chronicles 23, verses 1 through 5. So when David was old and full of days, he made his son Solomon king over Israel. And he gathered together all the leaders of Israel with the priests and the Levites. Now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above, and the number of individual males in 38,000. Of these, 24,000 were to look after the work of the house of the Lord. 6,000 were officers and judges. 4,000 were gatekeepers, and 4,000 praised the Lord with musical instruments which I made. Now, I don't think David probably made all 4,000 of them, but I bet he had the oversight of it. He was a musician's, we'd say he was a musician's musician. And he was the one responsible and made these instruments. And I made, David said, I made them. And so here we have the number. Can you imagine 4,000 people playing instruments and singing at one time? It had to be an incredible thing. So musical instruments were of various forms. One of the most common ones that you could get readily is um, one of these. This is called a shofar. This is blown on Rosh Hashanah. And everybody's wondering, is he going to try to blow that thing up there? (laughs) All right, I will. I hope a rapture now. (laughs) Those who are good on this thing can really play it. They can get different pitches, and they could, and uh, some are a lot easier to play than others. But this was something that is blown every Rosh Hashanah. They bring out the shofar. Uh, of course, they were used. The trumpets were used to give battle signals: what, when to retreat, when to charge, and it was uh, it was all designated by the sound of of a trumpet. Music was a part not only of worship but of war. And so we find here, David is the one that said, look, if we're going to worship God, it's going to be from here. He was a man after God's heart. And somehow just saying it isn't getting it across. And that's why we love love songs, because it is expressing something much deeper than verbal communication. And then to add an instrument to it, and then multiple instruments to it, have them come in at different times, and you're creating something that's wonderful and beautiful and powerful. Just think of the impact that music has had on your life. I know the impact that it, that it had on mine. So what does um, the New Testament say about it? I'm going to have you turn to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13. And while you're turning, Ephesians speaks about instructing us, not a suggestion, uh, I'll just quote this one. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in in Hebrews, uh, verse 14, it talks about we're only pilgrims and strangers here, for we have no continuing city, not here, but we seek the one to come. We know that there's one there prepared for us. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore, because the Lord's prepared a place for us, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. One of the few things that the Lord wants is appreciation and thankfulness of what he's done for us. I think of the 10 lepers um, that, that uh, the Lord said, okay, you're healed. Don't go show yourself to the priest. So they all trotted off to show themselves that they were healed. And all of a sudden, guy gets about halfway there and goes, whoa, I didn't even say thank you. So he turns around and comes back to the Lord and says, Lord, I was a leper and you cleansed me. Thank you. And he, he worshiped the Lord. And the Lord's comment was, where's the other nine? He was, he was expecting that praise because of the work that was done and the healing that was there that God would be glorified and, and magnified. So 
in James chapter five, it says, is any among you suffering? Well, then let him pray. Is anybody happy? Let him sing psalms. So if you're glad, then um, sing and worship and pray. It says uh, here, if you're suffering, just pray. But uh, let me take this a, a little different slant on this. And that is encouraging you to worship even in your suffering. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. And I'll give you a moment to get there. That's why we put the verses up so that you're ready to, to turn to them when we get there. The setting for Acts 16 is Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel and um, <laughs> there was this demon-possessed gal and she was following Paul and Silas all around and said, this, these, these guys are servants of the Most High God. And this was going on day after day. There's this demon-possessed gal. And Paul finally, annoyed, in verse 18, turned and, and said to the spirit, interesting, he didn't address the girl. He addressed the demon that was inside the girl. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out that very hour. Well, she was one of those that were legit, that had a familiar spirit, which has the ability to tell your fortune. And there were people making serious money, taking advantage of her. Now, when the spirit was gone, obviously they're out of business. So what they do is they they stir up the crowd, they seize Paul, verse 19, drug him into the marketplace to the authorities, to the magistrates, and um, they said, these Jews here, they're troubling our city, we want them out. And verse 22, the multitudes rose up together and commanded them to be beaten with rods. So Paul talks about three times I was beaten with, uh, with rods, and here's, here's one of them. And uh, when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanded the jailer to keep them securely, and having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. If a Roman guard had one of his prisoners get away, it was his head. So they were being, taking their precautions to make sure Paul and Silas are uh, sealed up really well. Now, if this is me, I'm having a pity party. I said, Lord, I'm, here I am trying to do your work. You're the one that called me out here. Everywhere I go, all they do is beat me up and throw me in prison. And that's me. And, but that's not Paul. In verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Gang, don't you know that when you're going through it, when you're in the fire and um, you have every right maybe to be bummed, you have every right to be discouraged, uh, but when you do it the way Paul and Silas did here, they were actually worshiping the Lord and singing songs. But the thing that strikes me is, so were the prisoners were listening. And they were listening to them. What's with these guys? They just got the snot beat out of them. And uh, they got beaten up, they got, they're bleeding, and they're singing songs. What do they have? And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's, everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakened from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. I'd rather do myself and then let my captain get a hold of me. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, don't harm yourself, we're still here. And then he called for a light, ran in, and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Worshiping the Lord during a trial, as people are checking you out, how are you going to handle this one? And you're ending up singing songs. Say, well, I don't know how this is going to work out, but you know, Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible. 
He's going to work it out to the good. Therefore, I'm going to rejoice. Paul with his thorn in the flesh. I don't like it. Lord, get rid of it. Don't want it. He said, well, Paul, I'm going to let you keep it. I just took you to heaven. And uh, you could be real big-headed because of the revelation. So this thorn in the flesh, I'm just going to let you keep that one. What does he say? He says, therefore, I'll rejoice. Uh, knowing that when I'm weak, that the Lord is strong in me. And there's the example that we have here. Here we have a whole family. This guy takes him home. So verse 31, he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he said. And this, if you're here, you want to know how to have your sins forgiven and be born again. Well, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved and your household. This needs to be clarified. In this case, it happened that his household was saved and um, Paul went to the, spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. So in this case, it happened. But as I don't have to tell you, um, you have family members that you love and care about, children, and because you're saved, that doesn't automatically make them saved. Amen? I mean, they have to exercise their own free will and they're going to have to choose. But they're watching. They're watching. How are you going to handle this one, Mom? How are you going to handle this one, Dad? And when they see you singing and praising and saying, I don't know. I know that the Lord is uh, working all things out to the good, even though just the opposite seems to be happening right now. So the Philippian jailer gets saved, and so does his whole family. And I believe that music is so powerful and when we're worshiping, and it's genuine, that it can not only save a soul, but to me, music is one of the most comforting um, experiences, saved or unsaved, that a person can have. When Saul, and I'm back in 1 Samuel 16 right now, it says, when Saul had an evil spirit from God come upon Saul, that David took a harp, and played with his hands, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Again, we can drag ourselves in here after a hard week, and somehow just after that first worship song, you know, like the song says, the things of the world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Good place for an amen. amen. It's true. Music has the ability to do that. I remember... Um, I know that Jesus, did you know that Jesus sang? In Matthew 26, after the Last Supper, verse 30 says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So before Jesus was in Gethsemane, he was actually singing songs before with the, with the disciples before he went out. That's pretty much what the, History of music started way back in Genesis 4. David developed it um, with worship leaders, 4,000 of them, what that must have sounded like. We've noticed a pattern that after victories, songs are written immediately after, uh, thanking the Lord. In this case, as we teach through the book of Isaiah, 24 is a tribulation, 25 and 26 is a song. Praising the Lord for what he has done. Well, that was then. I'd like to take a little sidetrack this morning, especially for maybe some of you who are newer with our Calvary Chapel movement and how we actually came into existence. In our own history of Calvary Chapel, I can't tell you that music played such a major role in drawing thousands of young people to the Lord through music. I remember Pastor Chuck, um, he never changed his clothes. He never grew his hair. He didn't have any hair to grow. (laughs) And uh, yet he was open. He tells the story when Love Song uh, came and asked for an appointment. And they said, you know, we're brand new Christians, Pastor Chuck, but the Lord has been giving us these songs and we, we'd, like to, we'd like to be able to, to share them. Well, Chuck comes from old school Pentecostal. 
And um, he was leery. And he just, he says, well, I don't know, guys. He says, can you come and play me a song or something? And so they said, sure. So they went out and got their guitars. And they sat down and they played a song for Chuck. Well, Chuck was in tears by the end of the song. Yes, the style was different, but the, the way they sang it was so deep and, and rich from the heart that it moved Chuck to tears. And he says, we got a Monday night Bible study. Can you guys show up and do it? And I thought, um, well, yeah, we can. We got a guy who's doing time for marijuana charge, but he'll be out for the weekends, so he, we can make Monday night. <laughs> they were just saved, okay? And, you know... Um, love song uh, was such uh, uh, a major impact. They were one of the first ones to come out, and as a result of the catalyst of Chuck Gerard, here is this is their first album. It's called Love Song. Uh, Chuck's become a friend over the years. He signed this, and he's got Psalm 34 verses 1 to 4 on there. I happen to be lucky enough to be involved in this movement. And we have what we call the beginning of contemporary Christian music. That's where it started. And Love Song was a big part of that. From that time, in a period of just a couple years, we had groups, and I'm going to do this quickly, Mustard Seed Faith, The Road Home, Children of the Day, Selah, Karen Lafferty, Twala Paris, Daniel Amos, Kelly Willard, Paul Clark, Larry Norman. By the way, we sang a Paul Clark song this morning and didn't even know it. Larry Norman, Randy Stonehill, Phil Kage, Andre Crouch, Nancy Honeytree, Keith Green, Bethlehem, Daniel Amos, Pat Terry, Malcolm and Alwyn, Andre Crouch, Barry McGuire, Resurrection Band, Randy Matthews, John Fisher, Maranatha Music had a whole uh, industry by itself. Mike Mack was speaking at a, McIntosh was speaking at a prophecy conference in Chino uh, in California yesterday. And uh, he would take these albums, put them in his trunk, and that was distribution. Just going around, just handing them out. Love Song would play three or four different times in one day for free. And they did this for, for years. Um, Love Song, The Way, uh, Debbie Kern, The Sheep, uh, Denny Carell, Marge Schneider, The Talbot Brothers, Daryl Mansfield, The Sweet Comfort Band, Scott Wesley Brown, Michael W. Smith, Evie, Imperials, uh, Wayne Watson, Amy Grant, Jamie Owen Collins, and I'm sure there's a lot I missed. All as a result of the Jesus movement and the impact. And that all started, and all of a sudden we didn't have um, enough room for people. And it began to go nationwide. I remember 1972 that me and my brother went to uh, Dallas, Texas, because this was the very first national Jesus festival. And I'm going to show you, this was on the cover of Life magazine in 1972. I still have that. And uh, a couple of guys, notice he's got his one finger pointed up. Uh, We pretty much took over for one week. Um, Bill Bright put it on. Billy Graham spoke every night. But what what was used is people came from all over the country to Expo 72, and I had the privilege of being there. And Larry Norman was there, Johnny Cash was there, Barry McGuire was there, Love Song was there, and Billy would preach the gospel in the evenings. And then for the rest of the day, we'd break up and attack Dallas, street witnessing and just telling people to come on out. But the catalyst that the Lord used was these young musicians that prepared the heart for so many more young people. Unfortunately, some weren't so enthusiastic. And they said uh, electric guitars, drums, cymbals, devil stuff. And our answer to that was, you know, you should take a peek at Psalm 150 sometime. And if you don't know what that is, let me read it to you. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him on the tambourine and dance. 
Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Someone say amen to that? So if you're wondering why, um, it's not the traditional, just a piano and a, a choir or whatever, I think that's great. Matter of fact, I think the richest songs, um, content-wise, are the hymns. I think content-wise. Uh, let's take Amazing Grace, that we can all identify with so much. Do you know that that was... Um, um, of course, a little, little background. Of course, it was written by John Newton. Uh, he was a slave trader, took slaves from Sion, Leon, to the States. And, um, you know, God broke him because he saw the cruelty in what he was doing. And eventually, he, he wrote many songs, got into ministry, but eventually, he came up with Amazing Grace. And Amazing Grace, he had the words to, but he didn't have the melody. So the popular song of the day would be like, I want to hold your hand, or she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he took the, the music that was there at the time, and then he applied the words to it. And that's the background to Amazing Grace and uh, John Newton, and uh, probably the most famous of all Christian songs. Well, this revival that is a part so much of our history an off-branch, it grew so quick that Pastor Chuck asked John Higgins if he would um, open a communal house. And I'll make this quick, but the Lord used John Higgins to, we call ourselves Shiloh, and from 1968 to 1978, 100,000 people came to Christ. During, by sending out teams to college campuses, and... Um, it was set up like this. Uh, we would work during the day, um, have Bible studies every night. A house consisted of anywhere between 10, 15, 16 people. And anybody that was hitchhiking, a lot of hitchhiking back in those days. And if you needed a place to stay, the word got out. You can get a free meal and a clean bed, and all you have to do is sit and listen to one of their Bible studies. Well, 100, literally, the stats are 100,000 people. But before every Bible study, there was always music. We had our own songbook. We had our own folk festival in 1975. Some of the songs we sing are still from here. When we would go out to work, most people here are familiar with Bruce and Teresa Mueller. Teresa was just here. Well, one of our jobs was picking apples at Johnny Appleseed, the largest apple orchard in Washington, 900 acres. Bruce and Teresa would come out and sing to us while we were working And that was one of the ways that we helped um, make money to send people on on to Bible school. All as a result of what? My point, the importance of music and the power that it has in bringing people to the Lord. All right, final point this morning, four. The church, a new song that's yet to be learned. Um, Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 26. In the book of Revelation... By the time you get to the end of chapter 16, the tribulation is over, okay? Um, The last judgment. The sixth bowl is uh, the battle of Armageddon, and the seventh and final of the judgments is the hailstones that plummet planet Earth, each weighing about 100 pounds each. And that's pretty much over. But then you have chapter 17 and 18. Well, what's that all about? Now we're going back into that seven-year tribulation period of time, and detail is being added. So 17 and 18 precedes chapter 16. It's more information that's given. Is everybody tracking with me what I'm saying? All right, that's what I believe happening here as we look at chapter 26. It's a song, but right in the middle of the song, in verse 20, it says, "'Come, my people, enter your chambers.'" And shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment, seven years, until the indignation is past. I told you last week, we studied the tribulation. That's one of the 13, 14 names for the tribulation, the indignation. 
Stay there until the indignation is past. Why? For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. Come, my people, I want you to, I'm gonna tuck you away for a period of time because I'm gonna do judgment on the earth and I want you to be away from that in your chambers. Jesus said in John 14, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, chambers. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jude foretold this when he quotes Enoch, and he says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Not angels. Yeah, he has angels too. But he's coming back with his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. It's coming. But the church is not here. The church is coming back with him. Revelation chapter five. And we'll begin to wind up with this this morning. Revelation chapter five. Chapters one, two, and three, you'll notice if you have a red letter Bible, it's all in red. Beginning with chapter four, it's all black. And um, it is until one verse, and then until you get to the end. What you have in chapter four is, I believe, uh, the rapture of the church. And there's a group of people now in chapter five that are watching Jesus take a scroll out of the Father's hands. And John is really undone because nobody was worthy to look on his scroll. It's a title deed to planet Earth. And nobody was worthy to even look at it, much less touch it. And John breaks down, crying, can't handle the thought that this world would continue in in the devil's hands. And the angel says to him in verse five, "Don't, don't weep, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the the scroll and to loose its seals. And he does. Now in verse 8, when he had taken the scroll, all of a sudden everybody, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, worshiping him and uh, prayers for the saints. And now verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us. So these aren't angels. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and you made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Gang, you got the words to the song. We just don't know the melody yet. Maybe it might be along to the song of peaceful, easy feeling or something like that. I don't know. You know that Bruce Carroll actually took peaceful, easy feeling and put amazing grace to it. It just blew me away. And I thought, that is so good. And um, we don't know the melody. But this is a song that you're going to sing. You're going to be in heaven But notice where you are, because as soon as you get to chapter six, the tribulation begins. You're not there. You're singing a song in heaven. We know the words to it already. We've been redeemed. And we're going to reign on this world in the kingdom age. Now, in men's prayer yesterday, we talked about this a little bit. I said, guys, what we just read from 40 to 48 in Ezekiel is all Jewish, very Jewish and even the divisions of the land. And uh, people will multiply during the kingdom age. They'll have bodies, longevity will be restored, but they will still have a free will. The Lord will rule, like it says, with a rod of iron, right? 
And so he's going to maintain um, the, the perfect, he'll be the perfect ruler. And, um, and yet, you know, the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. And when given a choice, that's why the devil has to be released after the thousand years, to provide a choice. Now that we're entering into eternity, which side are you on? Do you want to remain with the Lord? Well, everybody's here this morning, hopefully because you love him and you want to learn more about him. Amen? Well, there's a lot of people who don't. And they don't because John 3 says they love the darkness rather than the light because they don't want to change their lifestyle. I didn't think I did, but the only song I knew before I was saved that made sense was I can't get no satisfaction. (laughs) And I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried. Now I'm singing, you satisfy my soul. And I wouldn't trade it for nothing. And um, not looking back. So there's a new song as we do this study and make our way through. A pattern develops that every time God is victorious, it's a time to praise. And even as you serve the Lord and you're going through the fire, uh, like Paul and like Silas, and you're having a hard day, you know, you put on praise music or, or you praise That's something that I try to do. I get out my guitar, and uh, I don't do it every morning, but almost every morning. And I'll just go through my songbooks until I get tired or whatever. Many times my wife joins in, and we're just singing songs to the Lord. Great way to start the day. And um, there's just a satisfaction that comes with that. I'll close with Psalm 100 for this study this morning as we make our way through the book of Isaiah. And again, what we've learned is after victories, there's rejoicing and songs should be sung. And even during the difficult times. So Psalm 100 says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands, and serve the Lord with gladness, and come before his presence with singing. And know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you. As we make our way through the book of Isaiah, we're just grateful, Lord, that there isn't anything your word doesn't touch on. And we can't begin to express our gratitude in mere words. So thank you for creating music. Thank you for musical instruments. Thank you that as David developed a worship team that um, you've allowed us to be able to express gratitude and thankfulness through a song a love song. Lord, we do love you and we're grateful and we pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.